And, and Epictetus says, some things are up to us, and other things are not up to us. So in other words, in modern ter- terminology, you would say, some, in, in some cases, the buck stops with me. I am responsible for certain things. And in other cases, the buck doesn't stop with me. I am not t- totally responsible for certain things. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Program Life Podcast, where we want our listeners, guests, and myself to learn something new. Every two weeks, I bring in a world-class expert on a topic related to productivity or mental health, or even tech. And our guest on this episode today is Massimo Pigliucci. Massimo Pigliucci is a professor of philosophy at the City College of New York, formerly co-host of the Rationally Speaking podcast. He's an outspoken critic of pseudoscience and creationism and an advocate for secularism and science education. He's also the author of his latest book, A Field Guide to a Happy Life, 53 Brief Lessons for Living. I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this because in this episode we cover stoicism, which is one of my favorite life philosophies and one that I follow and believe in. So real quick, if you want my key takeaways on this episode and the show notes, just head over to programlife.info and you can also sign up for my exclusive email list. You can also follow me on Instagram, Yogesh Prabhu 2, that is Y-O-G-E-S-H-P-R-A-B-H-U 2, and Twitter at Yogesh Prabhu 03. That's enough plug-in for me, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, Masimo, welcome to the show. And I'm really excited to have you on the show as you are an expert on Stoicism. And Stoicism is actually one of my favorite philosophies. And I've read multiple books about it, and including yours, like a handbook for new Stoics. And your most recent one, A Field Guide to Happy Life, 53 Brief Lessons for Living. Um, for living. And it still surprises me that a couple thousand years ago, the people's like the Stoics advice are like actually like really useful and important to listen to even to this day. And like, um, even like PewDiePie, the most subscribed YouTuber did a whole video about Stoicism. So I would like to thank you so much for coming onto this show. Oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, right? That, uh, philosophy that started actually about 23, 24 centuries ago, it's still interesting in practice today. But then again, on the other hand, one shouldn't really be surprised because uh, we have a lot of other philosophies and religions that are in the same boat, right? Buddhism started two and a half millennia ago. Christianity mm-hmm. started 2,000 years ago. So yeah. we, it's, it's actually not that uncommon that um, uh, ancient ideas are still very much relevant today and still very much practiced today. Yeah, I've read about uh, Buddhism and Taoism as well. And um, just to start off, can you give us a brief overview of what Stoicism is to the people that might not know what Stoicism is? Well, Stoicism is an ancient Greek-Roman philosophy that um, was established by a guy named Zeno of Citium. Uh, Citium is modern-day Cyprus, uh, about 23 centuries ago. And Zeno was a merchant and uh, he had a shipwreck, which he survived, but he lost everything. And he made it to Athens. 
And uh, as soon as he got to Athens, he went into a bookstore because, you know, that's what you do after a shipwreck. You, you get you go into walking into a bookstore. And when he was there, he uh, heard the owner uh, reading out loud a book called Memorabilia by Xenophon, which is about the life of Socrates. And uh, Zeno was so taken by this thing that uh, he asked the bookseller, you know, where, where can I find me a philosopher? And um, the bookseller looked outside and he said, yeah, there's one walking by right right now, because, again, that's the kind of place that Athens, ancient Athens actually was at the time. You, you would find philosophers around the streets on a regular basis. Um, so Zeno followed this guy. The guy's name turned out to be Cratus of Thebes. He was a cynic philosopher. Cynicism was one of the many uh, Hellenistic schools of philosophy active at the time. And so Zeno started learning philosophy from a number of, of people, from a number of teachers. And then eventually at some point, you know, many years later, he, he figured he had learned enough that he could start his own school. And he started uh, teaching about the good life and how to become a good person, which is the, the goal of Stoicism, in a place, in, a, in an open place uh, near the market, near the central market in Athens, called the Stoa Poikile, which means painted porch. And uh, that's where the name Stoicism comes from, because the, the Stoics are the ones that actually met in the, inside the store. Now, the basic idea of Stoicism is that we should try to be the best human beings that we can be, meaning the most ethical human beings that we can be. And striving for that can be done in a number of ways, uh, one of which is, for instance, to practice regularly what are called the four cardinal virtues. The four cardinal virtues are practical wisdom, justice, courage, and temperance. And the notion is that you should go around in life and, and whatever you're, you're doing, from the minor things to the major things, you should always ask yourself, well, is this the practically wise thing to do? Is this the courageous thing to do? Is this, is this the temperate thing to do? And is this the ju just thing to do? So let me give you an example. Suppose that I go to work tomorrow morning and, uh, you know, assuming that the, the COVID pandemic is gone and I go to work and, uh, uh, you know, and I witness my boss uh, harassing one of my coworkers, right? So then the question is, well, what should I do? Should I intervene? Should I say something? So I consult my moral compass, which is represented by the four cardinal virtues of stoicism. And so the first one is practical wisdom. Practical wisdom is the knowledge of what's truly good for you and what is truly not good for you. Okay. So is it good for me to intervene? It is, according to the Stoics, because intervening uh, means that you have a good character. Trying to do something in order to help other people means you have a good character. While on the other hand, not doing anything is bad for your character. It undermines your character. So the first answer is, yes, I should intervene. Uh, does this intervention require courage, which is the second virtue? Uh, yes, it does, because it's my it's my boss. So I could, uh, you know, face retaliation. The guy could fire me, or at least I could get on on his bedside. So it requires courage. So the second answer is also yes, because you're practicing one of the virtues. Uh, the third virtue is justice, which is understood by the Stoics as treating other people with fairness in the way in which you would like to be treated. Now, if I were in the place of my coworker and I were the one the one to be harassed by my, my boss, I would like somebody to come in and intervene on my behalf. So the answer again is, yes, I should do it. It's, it is the just thing to do. Finally, temperance. Temperance is doing things in 
right measure, neither too much nor too little. That tells me that uh, the way to respond to the situation is to, you know, speak calmly and firmly. You don't want to just mumble something under your breath because in that case, the boss doesn't actually hear you. So you have really not done anything. Uh, so you have underreacted to the situation. But at the same time, uh, you don't want to jump up and, and start punching the boss on the nose because that would be an overreaction to the situation. Mm-hmm. So the proper yeah. way of reacting is somewhere in the middle. So that's what stoicism is all about. It's about trying to do the right thing and improving, in, in the meantime, improving um, your character, becoming a better person. And one way to practice this is by uh, paying attention to the four cardinal virtues. Yeah, that's a great explanation. And I think also one of the main ideas of stoicism is that um, the dichotomy of control where there are things that we can't control and there are things where we can control. And I would like you to delve deeper on what are the actual, like, what are the actual things that we can control and what are the things can we actually not? Like, what are the main, uh, factors in life that we can't and what, what can we control? Yeah, you're right that the, the so-called dichotomy of control is a, is a crucial, uh, aspect uh, of stoic philosophy however i really don't like don't actually like the term dichotomy of control this was introduced by a modern stoic uh, bill irvine in one of his books and unfortunately it lends itself to misconceptions because uh, people immediately think well but wait a minute there are things that i control things that i don't control and then things that influence that kind of in between so what am i going to do with those um we should actually go back to what the ancient Stoics themselves said. said. And uh, Epictetus is the one that, uh, who was a uh, late first century, early second century Stoic. Uh, he's the one that actually puts it more clearly at the beginning of a short little book called the Enchiridion, which literally means the manual for a, for, for a good life, for a happy life. And, and Epictetus says some things are up to us and other things are not up to us. So in other words, in modern ter- terminology, you would say some, in, in some cases, the buck stops with me. I am responsible for certain things. And in other cases, the buck doesn't stop with me. I am not t- totally responsible for certain things. Then he, co- he goes on and lists what actually belongs to us, meaning it's up to us, and what does not belong to us, meaning it's not up to us. And the, the list there is kind of interesting because in the first category, the things that are up to us, he basically lists our uh, judgments, our decisions to act or not to act, and our endorsed values. So what is what it is that we actually want, we actually value. Everything else, he says, is not up to us. And he includes in that health, wealth, education, uh, you know, reputation, job performance, you know, the career, everything. So it's like, wait a minute, hold on a second. What does it mean that all these things are not up to me? So let's talk about, since we're in the middle of a pandemic, let's talk about health, right? It may be surprising to say, to hear that health is not up to me. What do you you mean it's not up to me? Of course it is. I can make decisions about my health, right? I can eat a healthy diet. I can go to the doctor on a regular basis uh, to practice preventive medicine. Uh, In the middle of a pandemic, I I can decide to wear a mask, practice social distancing, wash my hands, get a vaccine as soon as it is available, you know, that sort of stuff. So so all those things are up to me. But Epictetus will point out that all those things are actually judgments and actions. And yes, they are up to you. What is not up to you is the outcome. You could do all of those things and still fall sick. 
because you know viruses are nasty pieces of uh, creatures and they can they can get you even if you do ex- everything exactly right vaccines are highly effective but they're not 100% effective uh, masks are a good good thing to wear because they do reduce the ability the possibility of being contaminated but but they're not they, they don't exclude it entirely social distancing also uh, or washing your hands, they're never 100% effective. Like None of those things are 100% effective. So you should do them. Those are, those are good judgments if you decide that, that you actually want to do those things, but they do not guarantee the outcome. So essentially what Epictetus is saying is that, in, that what is really up to us is our decisions to, to act or not to act and our judgments about things. The outcomes of our actions are not up to us, meaning that they are the result of a large number of other external circumstances that we we don't have much to say about. You know, I don't I don't have anything to say about whether the, the, the virus uh, infects one surface or another or one person or another or things like that. So now what does that mean in practice? Basically, the stoic advice here is to focus our energy and time and resources on the things that are up to us. That is where our agency is maximized, where we can really make a difference. And then for the rest, you just try to develop an attitude of equanimity, of of acceptance. You know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Sometimes you get sick, sometimes you don't, and so on and so forth. And there's no sense in getting upset about it because it is what it is. You you don't. It's not. It's not the result of your your actions. so this is a very, very powerful idea, which is found in a number of other traditions. It's not just Stoicism. You find it in 8th century Buddhism. You find it in 11th century Judaism. You find it even in 20th century Christianity. Some of your listeners might have heard of the serenity prayer. The serenity yeah. prayer is, you know, is something that is usually uh, told at the beginning of meetings of 12-step organizations, such as Alcoholic mm-hmm. Anonymous, right? Yeah. And the serenity prayer basically asks God to be able to, to, to give you the, the wisdom to tell the difference between what you can change and what you cannot change, the courage to change what you can, and the serenity to accept what you cannot. And that's exactly the dichotomy of control. That's exactly what Epictetus is, is saying there. It's like, you know, what you need to do is to have the wisdom to be able to tell the difference between what is up to you and what is not up to you, the courage to act on what is up to you, and the serenity to accept what is not up to you. Yeah, that's a great um, explanation. I really understood. And um, for me, I personally gained interest um, in Stoicism as one of my best friends, um, Nicola, he suggested me to have a look into it. And it was during like one of the worst times during the pandemic and um, early on this year when it actually started. And when I was feeling quite down of myself and Stoicism really kind of lit up my life and kind of gave, gave it some spice. And I find many of the ideas to be true and relatable. So I'm curious on how you gained your interest for Stoicism. Uh, it happened because I was going, years ago, I was going through a, sort of a little bit of a midlife crisis, which is not unusual. And uh, I kind of needed some kind of point of reference. And my point of reference up to that point, up, up to that moment, had been uh, the philosophy of psychohumanism, which I always consider my personal philosophy of life. The problem is, 
the secular humanism doesn't have a lot of a lot to say about practical issues like you know i was going through a divorce for instance and my father had just died recently and, and secular humanism doesn't tell me how to deal with these kind of things it's a set of ideas you know of general ideas that i agree with such as uh you know human rights and you know social justice and things like that that's that's all fine but when it comes to actual individual problems that you have to deal with uh you know it doesn't help very much to say well i'm in favor of social justice sure and what are you going to do about your divorce or you know what are you going to do about the fact that your father uh just died that sort of stuff so i was looking for an alternative and i came across stoicism and stoicism immediately clicked uh, one of the first Stoics that I read was Epictetus, and what I was struck by his sense of humor, uh, his no-nonsense kind of approach to things. At one point in the, in the discourses, he says, you know, we all have to die, and we have to be prepared to die. However, it looks like I'm not going to die today. On the other hand, I'm hungry, so let's go for lunch. That that's the problem that we should focus our attention uh, to. And I said, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> that's really no nonsense kind of kind of stuff. But at the same time, Epictetus can also be very serious, and he can tell you, uh, for instance, in the case of loved ones who die, he says, you know, uh, you somebody that you that you was close to you died, and so you you think it's the end of the world, and you say, poor me, poor me, and it's like, yeah, sure, but think about one for a minute. What you yourself say to other people when their loved ones die, what you normally say is, well, you know, I'm sorry, this is a bad thing, but, you know, life goes on, you will, you will recover, you'll be fine, right? That's what we tell other people. And then the thing happens to us, it's like, oh, poor me, poor me. It's like, we don't know what to do. It's like, wh- why don't we just take our own advice and and remind ourselves that yes of course it's it's something that it's not pleasant that you know one of your loved ones died but life continues and and you have to go on because uh you have duties toward yourself you have duties toward your uh friends and and family toward your you know partner your children whatever it is uh so you have to sort of accept what you cannot change with serenity and focus instead on the kinds of things that you can change. And one of the things you can change is, uh, you know, the attempt to improve your relationships with other people, with the people who are left. So when my father died, and later on, a number of uh, years later, my mother died, uh, you know, I absorbed the, the the impact, of course, and uh, you know it was definitely not a not a good thing. But at the same time, I immediately redirected my thoughts toward the people that were still with me. For instance, my daughter, and I said, okay, I need to redouble my efforts to be close to my daughter, to uh, you know be helpful to her, etc. Because at some point, I'm going to die, and she's going to be in the same situation uh, that I'm in right now, and you know I wouldn't want that the time between now and then uh, sort of to be wasted and that's that's really following epictetus advice yeah and um i guess going back to your book about you know the um a field guide to a happy life um i just wanted to ask you what is the definition of happy life and like what is the definition of a happy life and in your opinion um what should other people view a happy life as yeah, that's a big question, right? So, so people have different opinions about what what counts for happiness, and um, the Stoics had their own opinion, which differed um, from the opinion of other philosophers of the time and from the opinion of, of some people today. So, we need to be careful about what we mean by happiness. One thing we don't mean by it uh, is 
that kind of happy feeling in the moment, right? You know, like for instance, oh, I'm happy that tonight I'm going to see my daughter. Well, yes, you are, but that's not the what kind of happiness we're talking about. We're talking about lifelong happiness, mm-hmm. right? And lifelong happiness uh, depends, you know, research in, in psychology and in social psychology tell, tells you that depends on a, a small, relatively small number of things. Surprisingly, it doesn't depend a lot on your material conditions, so long as you have a roof over your head and you have, you know, food on the table, it doesn't really depend on how much money you have. People with more money are not actually significantly more happy than, uh, than yeah. people with less money. Uh, people with multiple cars or houses or something like that, they're actually not happier than people with one car or, or one house. So mm-hmm. contrary to what our consumerist society tells us, uh, owning things and having money doesn't actually make you happy. It doesn't make you unhappy either, um, but it just doesn't make you happy. So if you, if you want to become happy in the long term, that is not the kind of stuff that you need to focus on. Well, what then? Turns out, empirically speaking, that things that make somebody's life a good life, a, a life of you know well-lived, are relationships, especially with your friends and, and, and family, Mm-hmm. and uh, meaningful projects. That is, mm-hmm. you know, the, the sense that you're doing something in life that is actually meaningful, that, that matters to you. Uh, and in, in uh, third instance, um, having some kind of transcendental connection, for lack of a better word, that is thinking of yourself as part of a bigger whole, of a, of a, of a larger uh, uh, happenings, okay, part of a of a society, part of a, a world, part of you know uh, of the universe, if you will, something like that. So these are the three things that really matter, and not surprisingly, those are the things that the Stoics emphasize. Right? They say that friendship is very important, and then it's one of the most important things you, you you can have in life. So you need to focus on your on your friends. You need to be really you know paying attention to your relationships and your friend and your family and your and your friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also need to pursue something that is worthwhile. And for the Stoics, the most uh, worthwhile thing of them all is actually working on your character, on improving your judgments and becoming a better person. Why is that? Well, that's because if you improve your judgment and you become a better and better person, that applies, you, you, you're then able to make right choices, the best choices available in every other aspect of life. If you have good judgment, then good judgment is kind of a uh, genetic tool. You can apply it to everything, okay? Yeah. Uh, even including uh, to um, you know, more material things. Like, for instance, Epictetus at one point says... Um, so fine, is it, is it good to have money? Well, that depends. Money is not going to tell me uh, what to do with it. I need my faculty of reason. I, mean, I need my judgment to actually tell me how to use the money correctly okay, or incorrectly. So, so judgment, your, your ability to judge, your, to, to have a judgment, your ability to become a better and better person uh, is the major project according to the Stoics that you should pursue in life. As for transcendence, the Stoics were cosmopolitan. They thought that uh, we are bits and pieces of the universe and that we should feel connected to the rest of the universe. We also, they also thought that we are part of a, a large society. They called the, that the human cosmopolis, the, the big city of humanity, basically. And that, therefore, we should feel as we are part of this thing, of these big uh, group of people and we should treat other people 
accordingly, that we should uh, treat even strangers as if they were brothers and sisters, you know, members of the family, because that is what they are, in a sense. We are all in the same boat together, and we're all working toward making the world a, a better place. So, so those are the, the major goals of Stoicism, and those are the goals that, according to Stoics, will make you happy. As it turns out, there is actually a fairly significant amount of empirical research from modern psychology that kind of goes in the same direction. Uh, now, Stoics is not the only philosophy that tells you how to be, live a happy life, but as it turns out, other philosophies arrive at very similar conclusions, not identical, but very similar. There's a lot of similarities between uh, Stoicism and Buddhism, for instance. There are similarities between Stoicism and, and uh, uh, Confucianism, between Stoicism and Taoism. Uh, those are three of the major, you know, the, the, the three major Eastern philosophies, and they have yeah. a lot of points of commonality with Stoicism. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things you also mentioned, or say in your book, um, where you start to diverge from Stoic philosophy uh, and relating back to uh, loved ones, uh, the death of the loved ones, it's like, um, is the way that we should deal with the death of, let's, yeah, the loved ones and, you know, family members, for example, right. uh, was basically, you know, for according to Stoics, was treated with equanimity, um, like you shouldn't cry if your uh, wife dies or if your daughter dies or anything. And I think uh, you said that it was uh, ignorant of the way that uh, personal relationships work. Um, uh, can you delve deeper into why you think this way and how should we be dealing with these kind of situations, especially at this time uh, yeah. and in the era of the pandemic? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I think the Stoics were perfectly, the ancient Stoics were perfectly justified in thinking the way they did, except that the reason they were thinking that way is uh, because of their, uh, some aspects of their metaphysics, which are not uh, no longer tenable today. So let me explain what the, what the situation is. So Epictetus says that not only you shouldn't be sad, when when uh, a loved one dies, you 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 should actually be happy. You should embrace it, right? And he's like, "What? Wait a minute. What do you mean by that? You know, why should I embrace the fact that my wife is going to die, or or my father is going to die, or something like that? What the hell is that all about?" But from his point of view, this was perfectly reasonable because the ancient Stoics believed that the universe is a living organism, which is endowed with reason. And so that everything that happens in the universe is for the, for the good of the universe. Now, we are bits and pieces of that universe, and so we have a little part to play. It's imagine that you were a cell, uh, part of a larger body, right? And then all of a sudden you say, oh, I, I'm, I'm about to die as a cell, right? And you say, well, I don't like that. And then why, why should I die? But then you realize, oh, that's right. Uh, cell, cell death is actually necessary for the organism to live and to you know to replenish its resources to to change you know the skin or whatever it is that's happening well if that's the situation then epictetus is right that not only you shouldn't regret the fact that you're dying or that some other cells are dying you should actually celebrate it say yay this is my you know this is my way of of helping out the cosmos it's my way of helping up out the cosmic organism well, mm -hmm. that's all great, except, of course, that 2,000 years later, uh, you know, if you accept at least the view of the world that comes out of science, in particular biology and physics, uh, well, it's not tenable that we live in a, in a universe that is, you know, 
uh, alive and endowed with reason. It's, it's not. The universe is not a living organism. The, u- u- the universe is a set of dynamic processes that follows certain regularities, and we call those regularities laws of nature. But that's about it. So if you do away with that notion of the uh, living cosmos, then it also follows that you cannot really be happy or, you know, that that your loved ones are dying or that you are dying because Mm. you don't have that sort of, you don't have that sort of relationship with the cosmos that Epictetus thought we we, we do, we have. So then what? What is left? Well, uh, the rest of Stoic metaphysics still applies, however. So the Stoics were, uh, for instance, believers in universal cause and effect. That is, everything that happens has a cause. Okay? Yeah. They were also materialists. They believed that everything is made of matter, of, made of stuff. Uh, they did not believe in an afterlife. They believed that, uh, you know, when you die, that's it. That's the end of the story. Uh, you're kind of recycled in the general elements of the cosmos, but you don't exist as, a, as an individual anymore. Um, so all of those things are still true today. Uh, the, those, those notions are still in line with uh, the scientific view of the world. So what is left there for? Well, when somebody that is close to me dies, I cannot be happy as Epictetus would be, uh, but I can still accept it and endure it because I understand that death is a natural process. I understand yeah. that, you know, it is, it is the way the world works and there are no exceptions. Just because I love somebody, that doesn't mean they're going to live forever. The universe, you know, cause and effect, the laws of cause and effect don't make exceptions for you. So you're going to be sad, obviously, but you're also going to be accepting, right? That's yeah. where... Again, you go with the the notion that you should approach things in a serene fashion, right? Where whatever happens, that it's not up to you. You should be serene about it. You should uh, approach it with equanimity, with the notion that sometimes just things just don't go your way, and and that it's okay that they don't go that w- your way because that's that is the way the world works. So you're not going to be happy about it, but you're not also going to be particularly distraught because you just say, okay, that's one of the things that I need to accept. This is this is the way the world works. Uh, one of the consequences of this approach is that you should think about uh, the value that people have in your life while they're alive. Epictetus says something interesting here. He says, uh, if you want, uh, you know, if you wish that uh, that your loved ones were were with you after they actually dead, uh, you're wishing for figs in winter. Now, figs are summer fruits, right? So to mm-hmm. wish for figs in winter is nonsense. It's like, you know, you, you're, you're, why, why are you doing that? And you, you know that things are not going <laughs> to, you're not going to yeah. be there in the winter, right? So why would you en- engage in that kind of, of wishful thinking? It's, you're just going to be making yourself miserable. What you should yeah. do instead is when the summer is on, you should enjoy figs as much as possible. Precisely because you know that they're not going to be around during the winter. So the message here is we should enjoy uh, our family and our uh, loved ones and our friends as much as it is possible right here, right now, because that's when we're there around. Uh, yeah. Later on, it's going to be too late, and then you're going to be regretting not having spent time with them. Yeah, that is uh, definitely true, and I definitely agree with that. And um I just wanted to ask you another question. Is there, um, what, what stoic advice would you give to a person who's right now feeling extremely down about this whole pandemic? And 
um, what are the most important lessons that you've learned about Stoicism? Well, one lesson uh, that the Stoics, one, one exercise actually that the Stoics do to uh, cope with situations, with dire situations such as a pandemic, is something that you find uh, several times in uh, Marcus Aurelius' meditations. Marcus Aurelius was a Roman emperor and he was also a Stoic philosopher. And in the meditations is essentially his, his personal philosophical diary. He, he writes about himself and, and to himself, essentially. And, you know, yeah. the guy went through a large number of pretty serious problems. Uh, he had to fight two frontier wars during his, his reign as an emperor. He had an internal rebellion by one of his lieutenants that he had to deal with. His wife was probably cheating on him, and he had to deal with that. And a plague struck Rome, the Roman Empire during that time. This was the Antonine Plague, which was the worst plague of antiquity, probably killed between two or three million people. Mm-hmm. So in other words, a situation very much similar to the one we're going through right now. Yeah. And um, so what Marcus does when he reflects on these things, he keeps telling himself, look, everything will pass because everything changes. Everything will pass. There will be an end to this. So it is true that it's hard to see that that end when you're in the middle of it, when you're in the thicket of it, right? But it will pass, and, and it will pass because we know this because you know things change all the time, just like, yeah. the, like the pandemic pandemic came, the pandemic will 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 go. Uh, so you can look forward to a time where the situation is going to be better. Also, he says, uh, remember that other people have had similar problems and somehow they coped. Right. It's not like you are the only one experiencing this issue. Right. Uh, it happened plenty of other times to other people in, in history, and it's happening right now to plenty of other people uh, in, in the world. And so why do you think that is, this is something special about you? This is, this is just something that you can cope with, you can overcome in the same way in which other people are coping and overcoming uh, right now in, in other parts of the world or, or as they have done in the past, because these kinds of things have happened in the past. And in fact, you can even look at some of these specific people and, and take inspiration. You know, Shakespeare wrote one of his uh, uh, best plays in uh, the middle of a pandemic when he, when he just retired, you know, outside of London. It's okay, time to, yeah. time to write. Uh, you know, Boccaccio in, during the, the Italian Renaissance, a uh, similar situation that was, he, he lived in Florence. He was... Uh, uh, you know, Florence was struck by uh, a plague and he moved out outside of, of Florence and he started writing and he wrote the Cameron, which is one of the best, uh, you know, books in the, during the entire Renaissance. So there are people, uh, you know, Newton wrote the Principium uh, uh, in, uh, in uh, what is his most important book, again, during a pandemic. Now, that doesn't mean we're all Newton and, and Boccaccio and Shakespeare, obviously. <laughs> but, but the idea is like, look, there are people that were man- that managed to do that in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. So can I not man- manage to do you know my job and 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 to uh, be close to my friends and family? You know, can I can I manage at least that sort of stuff? You know, be helpful to other people uh, and 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 keep a, a semblance of life while this thing is going on. So so these are you're supposed to be inspired by the example of other people and also. Uh, in a sense, uh, reassured by the fact that many, many, many other people have gone through this kind of thing before, and they they survived. They did. They did okay. They they recovered. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that because, like, it, it's happened to me personally. Like, even during this pandemic, even though there have been some downs, there have also been a lot of like upsides. Like, uh, me starting this podcast, starting the blog, um, you know, getting to do something online and getting to actually like you know connect with people and you know put this out there and interviewing like people like you is really um, fascinating and. Um, Linking back to happiness, I think another topic that kind of relates to happiness is success. So in your opinion, according to like stoic ideals, when do we know that we have fully succeeded in life? And what does success mean according to stoic ideals? So according to the stoics, you never fully succeed in life because the only way to fully succeed in life is to become a sage, to become a, uh, you know, the ideal uh, wise person. And sages according to the stoics are very rare uh they they happen only once every several hundred years so most of us never get there but that isn't the point the point isn't to achieve perfection the point is to become better and better to improve okay yeah and um and so success is measured as improvement okay so imagine you're going to the gym, for instance, and you have certain, you, you set with, with your trainer, you set to yourself certain uh, fitness goals, right? Say, okay, well, yeah. today I, I, I'm starting today and I can lift, I don't know, 50 pounds. Uh, I want to get to 100, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe you get there, maybe you won't. It depends on a number of factors. Uh, but you would certainly improve, right? If you if you do the right thing, if you if you practice every day, if you follow the advice of your uh, of your coach uh, or your trainer, you will improve. You may not get to 100 because you know there are also other factors that you don't control. For instance, your genetic makeup. Uh, there may be limits to how much weight you you can lift because of your genetics, and you th- your genetics is not up to you, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would certainly improve. And the same goes in it for everything else in life. Like, so let's say that you want to learn how to play an instrument. Well, great. Let's start practice, right? And, and start practice with a good, uh, a good teacher. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get to Carnegie Hall uh, <laughs> you know, by, by, the t- by the time you, you're done with your practice. But you will certainly improve, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so on and so forth. Everything we do in life. So the measure of success for the Stoics is the fact that we are getting better. In fact, Stoics usually didn't refer themselves as uh, as Stoics. They didn't they didn't go around and say, "Oh, I'm a Stoic." Right? They went around saying, "I I am a prokopton," which is the Greek wor- word for one who makes progress. And if you think about it, it's kind of beautiful, right? So they didn't pretend to be wise people. They didn't pretend to be, you know, the the, the sages. They just said, "Hey, I'm here making an effort," and that's all I can do and I'm improving as a result. And that's the measure of my success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and another question that I had was um, your background is also based on evolutionary biology or psychology. Yes. And so I wanted to ask you what your opinion on a theory that our brains and we as humans have evolved mainly through social interactions because um, in this book that I read called The Elephant in the Brain um, by Robin Hansen and Kevin Similar, um, suggests that we humans have evolved with big brains because it made us better adapted for the environment. However, they argue that 
it might not be true. And environmental evolution might have taken us to a certain point, but then there was the need for social life, and which is the need for us to outcompete our friends and peers uh, that actually supercharged the evolution of our brains. What is your opinion on that view? Well, so the, the thing is, uh, as an evolutionary biologist, I can tell you that there, are, that there are dozens and dozens of theories about why we have evolved such large brains. And the fact of the matter is nobody really knows. <laughs> and the reason for that is because there is no, no fossil record of it, right? I mean, we, we know from the fossil record that the human brain has become larger and larger. That's true. That's easy to, to, yeah. uh, you know, to check. But why it became larger and larger? In other words, what, uh, as biologists, uh, biologists say, what selective pressures, what kind of things were, were favored by natural selection that caused the, human brain to become so large and so complicated, we really don't know. That said, uh, it certainly has something to do with social adaptation, that's for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the human brain is capable of language, for one thing, and language is, of course, how we communicate with other people, how we coordinate actions with other people, how we plan, etc., uh, etc. Et so that certainly is part of it. It might not be the entire story, but it certainly is part of it. Um, the brain, the human brain is also an incredible problem solver, right? Uh, not only social problems, but technical problems of all, si- of all kinds. I mean, the human beings are the most sophisticated use- users of tools in the animal world. Other animals do use tools, but they're you know, nothing compared to what human beings can actually do. Like yeah. I'm talking to you through one of these tools called a MacBook Air, and it's an amazing thing. And you know, and and no chimpanzee comes even close to uh, you know build anything like this. So. So the human brain is certainly the result of evolution. It is certainly the result of uh, the need to solve complex problems and to interact socially with other people. Absolutely. That is one of the reasons why, by the way, the Stoics uh, thought that the the two most important things about human nature are, one, that we are highly social animals, and two, that we're capable of reason. Right. Yeah. So when they say so, they had a model that uh, that that said uh, that we should live according to nature, and you know you hear the first this for the first time. You say, well, what does that mean? That I, should I go in the middle of the forest and naked, running naked and hugging trees? No, that's not what it means. <laughs> um, you know, and the other thing that it doesn't mean is that whatever is natural is good. The Stoics knew that just because something is natural, that doesn't mean it's good. Uh, you know, cancer is perfectly natural. But it's not good. Right? So, yeah. so what were they saying? Well, what they they were saying that we should pay attention. If if the goal is to live a good life, this really means a a good human life, right? Uh, as yeah. opposed to you know the life of a lion or the life of a plant. I mean, you know, if you say what makes a, a lion happy, or you know what is what is good for the life of a lion, that's certainly not the same kind of uh, of things. You wouldn't answer in the same way as when you're asking what makes a human being happy, right? Why? Well, that's because we're different species. That you know we have a different biology, we have a different social uh, interactions, and so on and so forth. So, what the Stoics thought was that we should take human nature seriously and act accordingly, and they thought mm-hmm. that the the good human life is a life that takes into account the two fundamental characteristics of humanity, which in their opinion were the fact that there were social animals. That means we should care about improving society. We should work for a better human society because we are highly social animals. We only thrive in society. We don't, we don't do well 
when we are on our own. We can survive on our own, but we don't do well. We don't flourish unless we are embedded in a society. So we should work for the betterment of society. And how should we do that? Well, by using your brain, since your, your intelligence, your ability to reason is a, another thing that is characteristic of human beings and that is not found in other animals. Some other animals, of course, are intelligent. There is no question about it. Some, some other animals are problem solvers and so on and so forth. But again, nothing even compares to human intelligence. Uh, you know, the ability of you, the human beings have to, uh, to develop language, to, to solve problems on a massive scale is not found in any, any other species. So living according to nature, meaning specifically human nature for the Stoics means that we should use reason to make the society, human society better, to improve human society. Why? Well, that's because that's the way we're happy. We are very happy when we use our reason and when we improve things socially. Yeah. And going back to the idea of um, our brains being more complex now is uh, the book also like the elephant in the brain also dives into the idea of being of, of having selfish motives and that we all have selfish desires. And uh, one of my favorite quotes from it is that we have, we all have a good reason and the real reason of why we do something. Mm-hmm. And uh, does Stoicism touch on this idea too? And what do Stoic ideals tell us about being selfish? Yeah, it kind of rejects this idea. Um, this is kind of the Machiavellian theory of human evolution. Is you know this notion that ultimately we will look out for number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think it is a theory that is, is contradicted by the by the facts on the ground. Because yes, of course we have our own self interests. No. no, no that's that goes without saying however pre- precisely because we're highly social animals our self-interest is actually cannot be separated from the interests of other people and that is why we are for instance naturally instinctively pro-social uh, as soon as human beings are born uh, the first thing they do is they start making connections with other human beings right beginning of course with your parents or your caretakers yeah. And then very, very early on, you start making friends when you're still children. Uh, and then you start making connections. So in other words, your wealth, well-being depends on other people. So the Stoics rejected this dichotomy, this really sharp dichotomy between selfish interest and social and altruistic interest. For them, there was no such distinction. If you do things for other people, you also improve, make things better for yourself. And vice versa, if you make things better for yourself, you're also making the world a better place for other people. And so there's really no contradiction between these uh, these, these selfish interests uh, versus altruistic behavior. Ultimately, one could say that uh, we do everything we do because we want to improve our life, but because improving our life goes through improving society because if you know if we live in a bad society our life is not good um mm-hmm. and therefore you know so so let me give you an example so so that just we, we we're going to talk about something practical as opposed to so a little too much theory so uh i live in new york city and often in new york one of the issues is that uh you know we are asked to vote from time to time on whether we want to raise our own taxes in order to pay for the local schools mm-hmm. right? Uh, that's because the United States is a bizarre place where schools are funded by local taxes. In most other Western countries, they're not. They're, they're funded mm-hmm. at the national level, which is much more yeah. fair. But setting that set aside, 
fine, we live, I live here, so I have to deal with this situation. Now, I always vote for increasing my own taxes uh, for schools, even though I don't have children uh, that are of school age. My, my daughter graduated uh, from college. She's, she's, you know, she's now in, actual, in, in graduate school, but graduate school is not affected by these kind of things. We're talking about you know, elementary, middle school, and high school. Now, mm-hmm. why the hell would I want to do that? Like, is, is, am I, am I as, you know, some kind of bizarre altruist who just wants to, to pay more taxes uh, so that other people's children are going to go to school? Not really. <laughs> My reasoning is, other than I do think it's fair to, you know, share the burden uh, of, of education uh, across the entire social group. But, but really, at bottom, I want to live in a place where other people are educated and where other people's kids have an education. And the reason for that is because if I live in a place where other people are educated, this is better for everybody. There's going to be a higher level, uh, you know, standard of living. There's going to be better jobs. There's going to be, you know, less crime and all that sort of stuff. If I don't do that, if I start looking out only for number one, only for myself, and I say, no, forget it. This is, you know, this is my money. I don't want to share with other people. Then I'm contributing to a downward spiral where education gets worse. That means we, and we know for a fact from, from sociological studies that neighborhoods that have a lower level of education tend to have a higher level of unemployment, a higher level of unemployment and poverty means more crime. So all of a sudden now I have to look out for my, myself in the sense that, you know, if I walk down the street, somebody might mug me, right? All, all of that because I didn't want to share my, my uh, part, my, you know, do my part in terms of paying taxes. So that's the stoic attitude. The stoic attitude is you want to be helpful to other people because everybody uh, uh, gains from from having a better society, including yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and just to um, talk about more of the future now, like what should we be doing for the start of 2021? Should we be looking forward to the future in positive light or should we be looking at it in a negative way? Because the pandemic right now, it can go either way because a lot of people, you know, predict that it's, um, it could be getting worse as in the virus could be mutated. It could be mutating. Uh, uh, a lot of researchers also say, um, you know, it could be better for us actually because the, um, vaccines are coming out soon and, um, you know, some of the vaccines are already ready and, um, should we so in the stoic perspective in what way should we be looking at it in the future of 2021 yeah so the stoic uh, answer would be don't <laughs> don't look at it e- either in a positive fashion or in a negative fashion because you don't know <laughs> right yeah. So we really have no idea what's going to happen. As you just said, there are some people that predict one thing, there are other people that predict another thing. Well, great. That means that nobody really knows, right? <laughs> uh, there's, there's really no, no prediction. I mean, uh, all sorts of things could happen. So what the Stoics say is that we should focus our attention on the here and now. And why is that? It's, it's, another, it's yet another implication of the dichotomy of control. Remember, the dichotomy of control tells you you should be paying attention to what is up to you and not what, to what is not up to you. Now, 
living in the here and now is up to you. Paying attention to what you're doing. Like, for instance, right now, I'm paying attention to the fact that I'm talking to you. And I'm not, you know, also trying to check my phone or look outside the window or something like that. I am focusing on what I'm doing right now. Why is that? Well, because nothing, Epictetus says, says, nothing has ever been improved by not paying attention. Okay. So I'm paying attention to the here and now. Should I worry about next year? No, because there's nothing I can do about it. It's, it's, outside, it's outside of my control. It's not up to me. You know, whether the pandemic is going to get worse or better, it is entirely outside of my control. Is, there's nothing I can do about it. And if there is nothing and worry about something that you cannot control is a major source of anxiety for human beings. Yeah. Right. We are anxious. Uh, uh, precisely bec- when we are afraid of the future, be- precisely when we think that things are not under our control. Right? Yeah. So the attitude that we should try to develop is one of acceptance of things that are not under our control. Fine, it's not under my control. Great, therefore, out of my mind. <laughs> why, why would I want to spend a single minute uh, you know, wasting my energy and my time thinking about stuff that I can't do anything about it? It's, mm-hmm. If I can't do anything about it, then I might as well, you know, do something else. As Epictetus says, one of these days I'm going to die, but it looks like it's not going to be today. Therefore, let me think about what I want for dinner because that is definitely going to happen tonight and I really need to pay attention to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess um, now since we're hitting almost to the one hour mark, uh, just to wrap this episode up, I would like to ask you one last question like I always do at the end of each episode. Um, I ask an opinion on a stoic quote. And I want to know your opinion on this quote and how it applies to your life and work. It goes, um, it's by Epictetus himself. And he says, when you're alone, you should call this condition tranquility and freedom and think of yourself like the gods. And when you are not, when you are with many, you shouldn't call it a crowd or troubles or trouble or uneasiness, but festival and company and continually accept it. Yeah, it's a great quote, right? I mean, it basically is saying that you should be at peace uh, both with yourself and with other people. That when you're alone, uh, you should be okay because you're alone. You're not distracted by other things. You can, you can do your things. You can, you can focus on what you think is important. When you are with other people, it's a festival, he says, right? A festival is a good thing. Festi- the word festival comes from festivus, which is Latin for you know, being happy about things. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when you are with other people, you act accordingly. You try to maintain harmony both within yourself and with other people. That is one of the Stoic goals, is to maintain harmony with yourself and with other people, because that is what is conducive to a good life. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on to the show again, Massimo. Absolutely, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me.